0: taking it to a do-it-yourself
1: level. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Beyond Zero show. We're coming to you from the studios of 3CR Melbourne, syndicated around Australia on the community radio network and podcast on the internet at 3cr.org.au. Previous episodes of this show are also available on iTunes and Stitcher. So please subscribe and rate us to help others find the shows. My name is Kay Winningall and today I'm joined by my co-host Kira Rundle. Hey Kay. And Michael Steindl.
3: Hi, everyone.
1: On paper, it's obvious. We must speedily transition to a zero-carbon economy across all sectors to have a chance at a safe climate. We even have ready-made solutions for some of this transition. But for communities whose very existence is based around the fossil fuel industry, this is a tall order. What will happen to their livelihood and their towns? A number of communities around Australia have begun to grapple with these issues – The um, example of La Trobe Valley in Victoria is out there, and there are many others in Queensland, Western Australia, New South Wales, and, and elsewhere in Victoria, as fossil fuels are inevitably phased out in each of those states. South Australia's Port Augusta has proactively taken on this challenge, and five years of community campaigning has resulted in the South Australian government wholeheartedly embracing the BZE Repowering Port Augusta Plan. Sadly, financing is still an issue for the CST plant, but the campaign has inspired many renewable power projects in the region. To talk to us about the Port Augusta proactive approach to the transition, we have Dan Spencer, who is a senior campaigner of the South Australian and Northern Territory branch at the Australian Services Union, an Australian trade union representing Australians across a wide range of industries, on the line today. Daniel's going to be talking to us about his involvement and when he was with AYCC, the Australian Youth Climate Coalition, and another number of other uh, proactive communities in the South Australian region that helped to get together with BZE and to help that transition along for the um, Port Augusta community groups. I understand that um, a number of the community groups started in Port Augusta, were um, already worrying about what was going on and how they could transition, given that they had two coal-fired power stations that were um, going to be closed down, that there were no particular dates that were set, and so the the, the whole township was in disarray. I think there were about 200 jobs that were going to be lost once those coal-fired power stations were um, going to be closed, so it was inevitable that um, things had to happen and the government wasn't taking any action either on the federal level or the state level. So I think we've got Dan with us at the moment. Hi, Dan. How are you? Hi, okay. Good, thanks. How are you? Sorry about that bit of a hiccup.
3: I had um, phone trouble doing the panel, Dan. Sorry.
1: No, that's no worry. Dan, can we start with you telling us about your background and how you got involved with renewables?
0: Yeah, sure. Um, I was a a student... um, basically studying um, arts and politics and um, was quite concerned about climate change so I started volunteering with the Australian Youth Climate Coalition and um, I guess my involvement started with Repower Port Augusta when I, I heard from some of my friends who'd been door knocking up in Port Augusta talking to local people about what it was like to live near a coal-fired coal uh, power station and um you know, what the community's vision locally was around um, a transition and if a transition was possible. And um, You know, when Beyond Zero Emissions put out their report suggesting the idea of a solar thermal plant being built in Port Augusta to transition um, people into clean energy jobs and um, help build a long-term future for the town, um, I thought that was a great idea and started getting involved and yeah, went, went from there. And, um, as far as where the campaign was coming from, a, a lot of local forums after those, um, early door were organized, um, more and more local people started getting on board with the idea that, that something needed to be done. Um, and a group of local people came forward wanting to start a, start a local action group, um, which became Repower Port Augusta. And, um, I moved up to Port Augusta for a period of time to work with them as, as a community organizer. And, and then we, uh, yeah, spent, five or six years campaigning, uh, trying to achieve a bit of a just transition in a solar thermal
1: It's wonderful to hear that B C D got you actively interested in this area. <laughs> That's a good news story. Yeah, I
0: think it's really powerful what um, what Beyond Zero um, was doing in putting forward, you know, putting forward technical solutions that, that were re- realistic but also... Um, when you applied them to the community level, um, they put out the specific Repowering Port Augusta report. It meant that, you know, we could say that this isn't some pie-in-the-sky idea, this is what it would mean, this is the approximate number of jobs, Um, these these are some policy solutions in how we could make it happen. So it became less an argument about, you know, what's the technology and, and more about, well, okay, here's an idea, what do we need to get politicians to do to make it a reality because not long after i moved up to port augusta which was in 2012 um at the time um playford which was the the playford b which was the smaller of the two coal-fired power stations and actually an incredibly polluting one um I think per unit, it was more polluting than than Hazelwood. Um, It was Mm. a really, really old, old, old power station built in the late 50s, early 60s. Um, That was mothballed, So, um, you know, people in the community, and we didn't know how much longer the northern power station was going to, be open. So the community was really starting to question. Okay, what's the future look like? Um, what's going to happen to the coal stations? South Australia was going wholeheartedly into solar PV and wind farms, um, and that really left Port Augusta people going, okay, what's next? And, and I guess made made people open to to getting involved in trying to build a build a case for change and um, trying to get something positive in place.
1: Then, as well as it being very polluting, there were a number of um, surveys done about the health effects for the Port Augusta residents, weren't there?
0: Yeah, there was. And, you know, over over a long period of time, um, there were some studies done that showed, you know, something like 50% above the state average of rates of, of lung cancer and things like that. And um, uh, the former mayor and, and a lot of people in the community were quite um, worried about living next to that power station meant um you know you'd hear anecdotes and, and stories of people putting you know their cricket whites out on on the washing line and um you know if the wind blew the wrong way they'd come come back in blacker and dirtier than they washed them because of all the cold coal dust and obviously mm-hmm. that has an impact on people's health um but people largely put up with that because the, port, the power station was really the economic backbone of the town and so where we where the campaign went you know we acknowledged those health issues um for sure but also we recognized um that we needed to build a common i guess a common vision and a common goal for people like not just talk about the negative but talk about where we wanted the um where the community wanted to get to um and that's where you know the solar thermal story even though it's now fallen in a heap and and the idea of port augusta becoming a renewable energy hub Um, became something that all parts of the community could latch onto as a potential for a future jobs and future economic um, base for the town.
2: Just on that same thread, I'm really curious to hear from you a little bit about what that conversation was like in the early stages. So when you had a lot of people relying on fossil fuel-based energy um, as an income, what was the conversation like to kind of change, I guess, the mindset of the community to move away from fossil fuels and towards more renewable forms of energy?
0: Yeah, it's a great question. And, you know, there was, don't get me wrong, there were definitely people um, in the community who who didn't agree with us um, as well. So that's important to remember. Um, But I think the, the uncertainty around the life of the power station was a big factor that made people open to... Um, change and the way we were campaigning in the community, like we had, um, you know, one of our very active members and our most recent chairperson um, worked at the power station. Um, so, you know, we did a lot to engage with the um, power station's unions. Um, we did a lot to try to talk to workers and their families. When I was up there, I was living in the granny flat of a coal miner um, from the Lee Creek coal mine. So, you know, everyone in the Everyone in the community had a link to the power station in some way, whether it was themselves working there, someone in their family or their friend. Um, So, you know, it was a sensitive conversation. And and what we really needed to do was we weren't, RePow Port Augusta wasn't trying to demonise the coal station. We weren't trying to demonise the people that worked there. What we were trying to do was build, I guess, consensus around what comes next and put at the centre of that, the fact that we needed a just transition and a fair transition for the workforce. And, you know, what I might say, well, we've got to a point where the Port Augusta community has embraced the idea of renewable energy. Sadly, the solar thermal plant's not going ahead, Mm -hmm. but a number of other projects are, which is good, uh, is is really good. Um, We didn't get the just transition that the Port Augusta community deserved. Um, The power station was announced to close before any of these projects were in place, um, it was leaked on the front page of the local newspaper. And so workers weren't given the, the dignity of even being told they were going to lose their jobs. They woke up and grabbed the paper in the morning and saw what was happening. So, um, mm-hmm. you know, that yeah. that was... And, um, you know, we saw similar at Hazelwood, and I think um, one mm-hmm. of the, I guess, many depressing things coming out of the, um, uh, the federal election is um, the union movement and, and workers and... and and Coalface communities really had have, have been strong advocates for establishing a just transition authority, and that was something we had managed to get Labor to commit to in the power industry um, to actually help facilitate the transition for workers and communities out of these power stations. And I think that's a debate that's only going to become more important as more more power stations comes to the end of their life. Um, I think you know one way to think about it is we know with the the speed of change with the rapid reduction in um, price of renewable energy and the fact that all our coal stations are getting extremely old now and they're just going to f- come to the end of their life means that, you know, a lot of companies, if they're getting ready to change their, um, They're they're getting out of these technologies, they're investing in new technologies, and so the bosses are transitioning, but the workers aren't getting a fair go, and so we want to get in place systems and um, something like a Just Transition Authority to actually support those workers um, who deserve a a good job once the coal industry ends.
3: Daniel Michael here. We've concentrated so far on on the coal heritage and, and intense reliance in Port Augusta, and when doing research for this, you'd read about how whole neighbouring towns were basically uh, dormitory towns for the coal workers and the entire football club and school club and everything depended upon those workers. Fortunately, though, Port Augusta and, – and you've already mentioned the issue of the, the lack of a just transition, and, and um, again, management said they weren't going to close it, and then they said three years, and then they closed it within a year. But Port Augusta is also an, an ideal place for renewable projects with uh, plenty of wind and solar – I just want to briefly cover two of them, um, the Bangala solar farm. Can you just tell us a little bit more about that?
0: Yeah, and that's, um, you know, while we didn't get the timing right, there are and, and now a lot of projects coming forward, which which are good. Um, the Bangala solar farm is, I think, one of the largest, if not the largest solar PV farms in Australia, definitely in South Australia, and, and, and that's great. Uh, there has been some issues around, um, workplace safety on, on site and, um, tragically a worker actually died on, on the site, which it was terrible. Um, and also there was, um, some issues around how the company was using labour hire arrangements, which meant, um, you know, a lot of those jobs on that solar farm weren't, weren't, well, sadly weren't good jobs. And I think that's, um, a really important Another part of the conversation that we don't often hear about is, um, you know, these renewable projects have that real potential to be um, really positive things for the community, but we also need to make sure that the jobs that get created are good jobs, that they're safe jobs,
3: and that we don't
0: see tragedies like that happen again.
1: Mm.
3: Agreed. But this one's huge, and it's owned by the Bengala Aboriginal Corporation.
0: Uh, no, it's um, it's not. It's owned by
1: um. Oh, I think the land's owned by the the corporation. Oh, sorry, yes, yeah.
0: yeah it's but, it's Bangala land, and and I understand that the company did, um, you know, the the they had negotiations with the Bangala people there, which which is uh, positive. Um, but it's actually owned by a, um, I believe it's a Spanish or Italian company oh, yeah. called Enel. Yeah,
1: but it is and, very big. Like it's over eight hundred hectares, and they say that's about as big as the Melbourne CBD. So it's. Quite huge. I think
3: when stage two is complete, I think that is. Yeah, yeah when the final yeah. stage is. complete. The, yeah, the other... I've, I've been out there. It's a it's a huge huge project, and
0: you know, coming forward now, talking to some of the other unions on, on who are involved in that project, um, uh, it, it, you know, it sounds like a lot of those issues that I raised have been uh, are being resolved, which is which is good, and so hopefully, you know, the future projects going ahead in the town are um, it develop, it, I guess, to deliver a much stronger benefit to the
1: community. So, if you've just tuned in, we're talking to Dan Spencer from the ASU. Dan, the other one is the solar thermal plant, the solar...
2: the,
3: the,
1: the, Sundrop, CST, farm. the yeah. SunDrop farm. The SunDrop farm—that's an exciting project that's yeah. gone ahead. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, absolutely. And and that's what it, so SunDrop um For people who don't know, it's a solar solar thermal tower that's used to power a um, uh, tomato growing greenhouse. Um, and you know they're um, Exporting, uh, I think, tomatoes to, to coals across Australia, um, and it's a it's a really innovative kind of first of its kind technology um, that's been developed in Port Augusta, and there's talk of it being used all over the world to um, as a way to you know grow food in places where you don't have good good farmland, which is um, you know really really exciting, and, and it's um, you know a project that's employing people, it's it's using that technology, which is is great, and that's really what um, you know. These two couple of projects, but there's something like thirteen or so that are on the, on different stages of development in the Port Augusta region now. And um, you know, I think the fact that the community was welcoming of these projects um, and positioning itself to be a renewable energy hub that you know the local council is really pushing that forward, we were getting. Phone calls from renewable developers, you know, every couple of months, saying, "Oh, how do we get involved in Port Augusta? We want to come and build this technology, or pumped oh, hydro, yeah. or solar PV, or wind farm, or, or whatever, solar farm, or um, which I think um, is great." And so, you know, Port Augusta does have um, a really strong future. And I think um, there's about in the three pump- industry. Have, pumped
3: hydro. I have a list here um, that says that around Port Augusta, you've got Lincoln Gap wind farm at 212 megawatts. Um, possibly the third South Australian um, big battery, three-pumped hydro-Zen Energy battery, 120 megawatts with 140 megawatts... Um, Bigger than the current megawatt one. ...megawatt hours, yeah. and um, a DP Energy wind farm proposal. Yes. Yeah. Um, now, against all of that, you, you did briefly mention the, the Solar Reserve CST plant. Um, we we're all so excited about that, and then I think it was earlier this year that they failed to get financial closure and, and withdrew. Is there any... Hope for that being resurrected. Are there any other takers looking at it?
0: Yeah, sure. And yeah, that was um, incredibly disappointing news, and and so solar has yes. failed to reach um, finance. And I think you know, there's there's questions for the company, there's questions for the government if there was things that could have been done to to save it. But um, yeah, we we are where we are now. Um, you know, there are some other potential solar thermal developers that have have potentially you know, shown an interest in in Port Augusta, which um, would be great if they came to fruition, but, you know, that's a a fair way down the road. So, um, yeah, we, in terms of solar reserve, they're definitely definitely not going ahead, which is um, incredibly disappointing, but the community support is still there, the um, political support is is still there. People want to see this happen. It's, um, yeah, now about trying to um, attract someone else to to come in and build it, and um, you know, hopefully that happens. But mm. um, I don't, I don't want to give give people a false hope that it's just going to be a. Um, well, it's good
1: there's news there's that another, there's still a possibility.
0: Another, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's a solution just sitting there.
2: Yeah. I just have one one last follow up question about Port Augusta before we kind of shift gears, and that's to do around the community identity. So we mentioned previously that a lot of the people in this community were employed. Um, in the fossil fuel industry, and now it seems like, as you just mentioned, a lot of big industries, um, renewable energy industries, are looking to come to Port Augusta because it is now such a hub. Um, Have you noticed a really big change in the identity of community members or the way that people feel about living in Port Augusta now compared to when you first moved there?
0: Yeah, I I think so. I think um, people have, you know, the awareness of these technologies, the um you know after the after the coal station closed, there's no doubt that you know walking down main street um it was a pretty depressing place to be you know people stopped people were moving out of town, people stopped spending their money that you know that um yeah it was you know shops shop fronts were closing um but with the announcement of a lot of these renewable projects um you know eighteen to two two years after the closure. Um, you could see confidence starting to come back in the community, which I think has been one of the, the biggest positives. And, um, I think that's what people are trying to do now with, um, Solar Reserve not going ahead is to, um, um, is to, you know, focus on those positives and still see the town as a, as a renewable energy hub. The, um, you know, Port Augusta is on the edge of the desert. It's, uh, one of the sunniest places in the country. It's got, you know, the local grid there. Um, you know, people understand that that's a, an incredible resource and if we're going on renewable energy, that um, they want to be part of it, which I think is really positive.
1: So, Dan, in terms of um, employment, I think there are about 200 jobs um, for those, with those two coal-fired power stations. Mm-hmm. So people are trained to do that sort of work. What happens when they close down? What happens to those people? Do they get retrained or do you have to bring in new um, people that, that are more experienced in renewable energy? Power stations.
0: Yeah, um, that's a that's a great question, and one of the things that wasn't probably done enough. Um, so, and that's also part of a just transition authority is actually making sure workers get trained in the new skills. Um, one of the good things about it, the idea of a solar thermal plant is that if it had gone ahead, is that it's a thermal power station. So, a lot of the you know this um, this operating skills of those power stations are very similar to what a coal fired power station would use. Um, so that was where that sort of opportunity for direct transition was there. Um, but more broadly, you know, people, some people left town, some people have gone and moved and worked in other power stations across Australia. Um, so some people ended up there, some people have retrained. I know of some that are that are working out at Bungala that are working at Sundrop, um, you know, a couple of the former. And, the, and this is the thing, some of the ongoing um, things like solar PV, the tower at Sundrop, they're much smaller operations so they don't employ as many people but I do know that there are um, a few ex Alinta coal workers who are now um, working, operating Bangala and um, and
3: Sundrop. Daniel, we've um, we're only got three minutes left and a more questions that we're not going to get through <laughs> but uh, we wanted to raise our eyes from the Port Augusta which is a great case study. And take a moment to look at the national level when it comes to energy policy across Australia. We see time and time again that, that we have technical solutions to transition to zero net emissions, but energy policies are repeatedly stalled at the national level. Um, in spite of this, we are getting on with it in some ways, uh, at more at the um, regional and, and local way. So that raises the question whether we should talk about a transition to zero emissions. We should be, when we are talking about that, we should be thinking of this transition on a more local, Level, so these Carbon Communities is an example that's tackling it this way. What what else has been happening at the local level and where?
0: That's a a great question, and and, um, I think you know there's a whole number of say community energy groups that are popping up all over um, all over Australia, especially on the east coast, um, who are developing community energy projects, which are really. Positive, I think. Um, you know, as communities are getting together to get, say, their local councils to put in place, you know, um, solar um, low low income solar purchase schemes. So there's a one happening just up the road from Port Augusta and Port Puri uh, that's working with the council and the community there, which I think is really positive. Um, you know, I think we've we've got to keep pressure on the federal government. We've got to. Um, keep making the case for change in the community and make sure that at the next election, you know, if, if the federal government, if the coalition goes with what they're currently selling, which is effectively a head in the sand approach to this transition, that we, we convince enough people that we need to, um, need to change government and that more renewables means cheaper power for them, um, and cleaner power. Um, but I think in the meantime, state governments have a lot of influence here. Um, state governments um, can put in place a whole bunch of policies and, and are in some ways more reactive to local community concerns. So, you know, um, if that means that we need to need to pressure state governments to get things moving um, and take up some of the slack while the federal government does nothing, then maybe that's what we've got to do.
1: You talked earlier about the unjust transition in Port Augusta and the same, mm-hmm. as you said, happened in um, La Trobe Valley. Where where does the impetus come from? Does that happen at the state level for a just transition or at a local level?
0: I think it needs to involve all all sectors. Um, I think the lesson from Port Augusta is to get involved early and plan early and bring people together as early as you can. Um, You know, this isn't something you can do with three months' notice. Um, You know, you want to be building long-term plans and um you know that pressure at the grassroots level from from workers from unions from community organizations um is going to be vital to bringing you know state governments federal governments on board ideally we'd have a federal government that was that was managing this transition transition because not only is it about the local workforce but it's about the whole uh, power grid which which um you know the whole of the eastern seaboard is connected to so you'd think they'd want to do it in a managed way, um, if they were clever. Um, But, yeah, at at the same time, there are bright bright sparks happening. um, On on the Just Transition front, the Queensland government has set up a a Just Transition task force of its own um, coming out of the Hazelwood closure in the Latrobe Valley. The Latrobe Valley Authority was established to help manage that transition. And, uh, you know, those are positive positive signs coming from the state level. So the state governments can also be involved if the federal government's not going to do anything.
1: Yeah, great. And we've just run out of time too, Jen. Where, no where can people find out a bit more?
0: Uh, that's a great question. I I'd encourage people to um, uh, you know, get involved in uh, things like the global school climate strikes coming up um, September 20. That would be a great, great place to start. Um Beyond Zero Emissions website. If you Google Repower Port Augusta, there's plenty of information
1: on the internet.
3: Extinction Rebellion. Extinction Rebellion. Yep, there's lots happening. Great.
1: Thanks very much, Dan. No
3: worries. Thanks for having me. We've been
1: speaking to Daniel Spencer from the Australian Services Union. The Beyond Zero Show is brought to you by the climate change solutions think tank, Beyond Zero Emissions, and is recorded in the studios of 3CR Melbourne and syndicated around Australia on the community radio network. Previous episodes of the show are available on iTunes and Stitcher, so please subscribe and help others find the show. If you enjoy the program and can donate to help cover airtime costs, please go to the BZD website and click on the Donate button. Thanks for listening and we look forward to you joining us again next week.
2: Beyond Zero Emissions is an internationally recognised climate solutions think tank that is focused on solutions, not problems. Become part of the solution by becoming a monthly base load supporter. Go to www.bze.org.au to find out more. bze.org.au You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.